Welcome to Evolve Nutrition Radio, where you learn how to ditch the diet mentality and deconstruct your health and fitness goals into habits you can do for the rest of your life. Hey folks, thanks for tuning in, and I want to welcome you all to another episode of Evolve Nutrition Radio. I'm your host, Alex McMahon, and this is episode 9, The Simplest Meal Structure for Health and Fat Loss. Now, when it comes to getting healthy and looking and feeling better using nutrition, it's much simpler than most people would be led to believe. Albert Einstein famously said it best, and everything should be made as simple as possible, but no simpler. Now, I doubt you thought you'd be listening to a healthy nutrition podcast and hear an Albert Einstein quote, but this applies to nutrition so perfectly that I couldn't leave it out. It's become a trend in our society to make things a lot more complicated than they need to be to sell a product, to sell a supplement, or to sell a certain kind of food. In this regard, nutrition is really no different than the rest of society. And things have been made far too complicated to the point where people don't know what to believe, who to listen to, and can very easily lose sight of their own intuition when it comes to what they should be doing with their food and nutrition. The fact remains that success leaves clues for us to follow, and today we're going to be following that path of simplicity, and it's what we're going to be discussing, and it's how I'm going to show you how to use simplicity and the basics to be able to organize a very simple way of structuring your meals so that you can achieve either optimal health or fat loss. It's kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure, but I'm going to be giving you the tools as to how to do that with your specific food choices. The basics aren't always going to be the sexiest thing to talk about, but it's really time-tested and battle-proven effective for everybody. When you look at anybody who's achieved anything with their physique or with their health, they always start at the basics. They really only get more advanced after they've mastered the basics and they've gotten about 95% to their goal. It's really that last 5% that people will incorporate things like carb cycling or calorie cycling or things like that because if you don't have the basics down and you try to build on top of that, it's just going to be horribly ineffective because you haven't built the habits to be able to keep up with it. Now, whether you're someone who wants to track your macros and calories or someone who wants to eat more intuitively and focus on food quality, the principles that we're going to be covering in today's podcast will be something that will help you to make progress. As a side note, you should think of the fact that you can have both food quality and tracking your macros and calories. The thing is, a lot of the times what people negate to talk about is that when you do improve the quality of foods that you're eating, it will naturally lower the amount of calories that you're consuming. When you follow the structure of what we're doing today and the kinds of meals that I'm going to be laying out for you to think about and to incorporate into your lifestyle, you'll realize that these are really macro-friendly meals that incorporate a lot of the same principles that you would see for someone who is counting macronutrients or for someone who is prioritizing food quality as well. This is pretty much the very same thing and the very same tactics that I use for my own clients when it comes to helping them organize meals. I also have my clients work on simple habits. These simple habits that they adopt every two to three weeks allows them to really dedicate their energy to focusing on one specific thing that they're going to change in their life. Along the way, it also allows them to celebrate the small wins. We really focus on the idea of making progress instead of making perfection. The thing is, perfection is always very difficult to attain, and it's never actually really that possible. It's not about trying to be perfect for a week or for a month or for a year. It's about turning the habits that you develop into an entirely new lifestyle that you can follow and maintain and own for the rest of your life. Whenever it comes to looking at somebody's food journal, I have an order of operations that I always follow to help that person adopt really simple habits and to help them make better food choices. First, I'll usually look at the amount of protein that someone's eating. 
Most people have a tendency to under-eat protein, and with it being such a high satiety food that helps to keep people feeling fuller for longer, increasing it is a really easy first move. Also, for most people who are looking to lose fat but also be able to maintain muscle, protein is the main nutrient that they'll want to focus on here. With it being such a high satiety nutrient, it can help people to reduce their appetite and to curb unnecessary cravings along the way, which will help somebody. Also, it's the highest thermic effect food, which means that your body actually allocates more calories to burning protein than it does carbohydrates or fats, which is, a, which is another added benefit. Next up after protein, I always look at the amount of water that someone's drinking. This is another area where a lot of people fall really short, and it can negatively impact the amount of energy that they have throughout the day and their appetite. As a side note, you'd be amazed at how many people end up eating too much because they're actually thirsty and misinterpret it as a low-grade hunger. I've had multiple people who have been lifelong snackers who once we got them drinking enough water on a consistent basis no longer felt the need to have that afternoon snack anymore. Next up, we'll be discussing vegetables, fruits, and denser sources of carbohydrates. Whenever I'm looking at how many servings somebody's having of uh, vegetables, fruits, and denser, denser carbohydrates, we're always going to be basing this on the person's goals and then also their activity level. Starchy carbohydrate recommendations are always going to be based on the level of activity that that person has and the metabolic health of that person as well. Now, if someone is a hard-charging athlete who's hitting the gym four to five days a week and then on top of that has a really active job, their capacity to handle a larger amount of carbohydrates is going to be something that allows them to eat them and have far less of them spill over into fat stores. Now, if somebody's just going to the gym for 45 minutes to an hour a week and then other than that has a pretty sedentary life and job, that person's need for carbohydrates to fuel their activity and to recover is going to be actually a lot less. On top of that, some people also don't tolerate carbohydrates very well, and as a result, their consumption would likely be around their workouts and skipped on days when they're less active. Now, when it comes to the basic tools that I have people use for measuring their meals and to figure out what kind of portion sizes are going to work for them, I don't think that everybody needs to use a scale or um, you know measuring cups to track their calories and macros for a long period of time. However, I do think that this can be really useful for a small chunk of time to have people see how much they're actually eating and to get a really good idea of what real legitimate portion sizes look like when it comes to something that's four ounces or eight ounces or a gram. As I've mentioned in previous podcasts, people are horrible at estimating the amount of food that they're taking in and the caloric content of those foods. To add insult to injury, the amount of calories that are burned during exercise are depressingly low. Most people far overshoot the amount of uh, calories that they burn in exercise and dramatically undershoot the amount of calories that they're consuming on a daily basis. Now, when you take that trend and you stretch it out over a longer period of time, you can see how somebody who thinks they're eating a maintenance amount of calories over time but gains weight could become frustrated in the same way that somebody who's trying to lose fat but is only maintaining would also become frustrated. Don't worry though, the measuring tools that we're going to be discussing today are actually free and they actually happen to be attached to your wrists. Of course, I'm talking about your hands, but specifically your fist, your thumb, and your palm are what we're going to be using to structure your meals. The thing that we want to talk about is the reason that I like to use the thumb, the palm, and the fist is because they're highly individualized. That means for someone who's larger, they're typically going to have a larger thumb, a palm, and fist, which means that their food intake would be different from somebody who's smaller than them. So this is going to help to kind of individualize it, and it's also a very easy way to kind of guesstimate your food once you've tracked for a few days and have a good idea of what it's going to look like. So first and foremost, we're going to be addressing protein intake. 
Aside from being a really high satiety nutrient, protein is a necessary component for maintaining and building muscle mass. Especially for someone who's looking to lose fat but maintain or even build muscle, adequate protein intake and a smart uh, strength training program are going to be absolutely crucial. I like to have people base their meals around one to two palm-sized portions of protein. For men, I usually like to have them go for two palm-sized portions of protein, and women, I have them do one to one and a half palm-sized portions of protein. Part of the reason for this is because men stereotypically carry around a lot more muscle mass, and they're also going to have larger frames, which are going to require them to eat more calories to be able to either maintain or to build muscle. For fat loss, men are usually still going to be able to eat a larger amount of calories because they're carrying around a lot more body mass. The protein sources that I'm going to recommend are typically going to be grass-fed beef, wild-caught salmon, whole eggs, pastured chicken, lamb, bison, grass-fed steak, turkey, shrimp, seafood, or really any other animal-based source of protein that you would like. Part of the reason that I recommend animal-based sources of protein is that they contain the entire amino acid profile without having to do a lot of food combining. I like to see people have between three and five different sources of protein throughout the week to mix up the amino acid profile that they're eating and to prevent any kind of burnout. So next up, we're going to be discussing non-starchy vegetables. Now, there's no shortage of evidence that proves that a high amount of vegetables in the diet is one of the basic staples of some of the healthiest cultures that there are around the world. Now, vegetables contain a ton of healthy vitamins, minerals, enzymes, and fiber. Not to mention, they take up a lot of volume in the stomach, but have an extremely low caloric content, which is a really valuable trait for a food to have when it comes to somebody who's looking to lose fat. And again, nobody ever got unhealthier or gained fat from eating too many non-starchy vegetables. That I know of, at least, that is. So each meal should have at least two closed fist portions of non-starchy vegetables for both men and for women. Now, part of the reason for this is because we want to make sure that we're getting in a lot of micronutrients. We want to make sure we're getting in all those vitamins, the minerals, the enzymes, and the fiber, and everything that's health-promoting. And we want our plate to have a lot of those multicolored vegetables on there to make sure that we're staying healthy. Health is first and foremost always going to be the top priority. So vegetables that are in alignment with this are going to be things like kale, spinach, collards, onions, mushrooms, garlic, Brussels sprouts, broccoli, carrots, cauliflower, zucchini, asparagus, bell peppers, and, pur and purple cabbage. Pick whichever kind of vegetable you would like. It's going to be really tough to go wrong here. I like to see people eat as many colorful vegetables as they can throughout the week to get a variety of micronutrients and phytonutrients. This helps to keep meals more aesthetically pleasing so they look nice and then also as well to mix up the flavor and texture profiles of the meals to prevent any kind of burnout. Next up, we're going to be talking about dietary fat, the nutrition bad boy. Fats play a number of important functions in the body such as triggering satiety and to help with energy regulation by providing a longer burning source of fuel. Not to mention they can help with inflammation and joint health as well. That's why this is a that's why extra fish oil is typically going to be a recommendation whenever anybody has any kind of inflammatory problems or any kind of joint health is fish oil can be a good way to help to squelch that inflammation that's going on in the body. Now I like to see people add at least one to two thumb-sized portions of fat for cooking and for flavor whenever they're eating a meal. Men should shoot for two thumb-sized portions of fats or oils at each meal, and women should shoot for one thumb-sized portion of fat or oils at each meal. Whenever I see anybody cooking, I always like to gear them a little bit more towards the saturated fats to make sure that they're cooking with a oil that can be used at higher heats. So this is going to include things like grass-fed butter, ghee, coconut oil, red palm oil, and any kind of tallow or lard. 
Whenever it comes to cooking with any kind of animal fat, I always like to have people get grass-fed, pasture-raised versions of this because the animal stores the toxins in their fat, and if that's what you're cooking your foods in, then guess what you're going to be cooking your foods in if that is a sick animal that was raised on a centralized feedlot? Toxins, antibiotics, and hormones. So if you're going to go with an animal-based source of cooking fat, make sure to get one that's grass-fed and pasture-raised so, you know so that you know it's coming from a healthy animal. So the oils that I recommend for cold uses are going to be macadamia nut, avocado, and olive oil. Now if you have to pick a oil to actually cook with out of those three, the one that I would have people opt for is avocado oil. It's a great, it's a great oil to use at medium heats, but I wouldn't go any higher with it. Otherwise, the fatty acid profile could become damaged. Now when it comes to nuts and seeds, I believe that they should be used at meals like a condiment. Small portions when you decide to have them. I usually recommend that people use a half an open cupped palm. Part of the reason for this, and by the way, when I say half an open cupped palm, I'm not talking about a huge handful, I'm talking about a reasonable portion size, like you would a condiment. I wouldn't recommend going beyond one serving of nuts or seeds per meal. There are much more nutrient dense foods out there that should be the main focus and that you should be using to help build muscle and burn fat. Now, while nuts and seeds have been proven time and time again to be extremely healthy and to have a ton of benefits, the fact remains that they're very calorically dense but take up a very small volume in your stomach. Especially when these nuts and seeds are roasted and salted, when we get the fatty, salty flavor, they're really, really easy to overconsume. And I mean, who hasn't sat down on the couch with a big tub of salted cashews and gotten about five handfuls in, flipped over it, and realized that you've just eaten something like 1,500 calories without even thinking about it in 20 minutes? Then after that, you think, I'm still hungry and dinner's ready in about half an hour. So they're just really easy to overconsume and they take up a really small volume in your stomach, but at the same time, they're very calorically dense. So I recommend that people kind of, if you have a goal of fat loss, be aware of how much, uh, be aware of your consumption of both nuts and seeds as they can provide some challenges there. As a way to help troubleshoot this, I always recommend that when people do consume nuts and seeds, they have them in the raw form. So this could be things like walnuts, almonds, macadamia nuts, hazelnuts, pumpkin seeds, sunflower seeds, hemp seeds, and cashews. Other more food-based sources of fats like avocados, coconut, and olives should also be consumed in the same range of one half to one open cupped hand um, serving size. Next up, we're gonna be discussing fruit. Now, I do think that fruit can absolutely be a healthy part of someone's meals. Fruit contains fiber and micronutrients and can help to stave off cravings for worse quality foods. Just be sure not to let fruit consumption take the place of eating processed sugars. This is a theme I've seen time and time again with a lot of my clients, is that when people are trying to avoid processed sugars, they turn to fruit and start eating way too much as a replacement and use it as a crutch. If fruit is going to be part of your meal, I recommend using one half to one closed fist size portion. If you're going to have fruit, I would limit it to a maximum of two meals out of your day, and I think it's really ideal to consume in a post-workout meal to help with increasing the carbohydrate content of that meal and to help with recovery. I always prefer to have people get local and in-season fruit if that's something that's available. I personally prefer raspberries, blueberries, blackberries, marionberries, and boysenberries. Can you tell that I like berries? However, for a lot of people, getting local in-season fruit isn't gonna be something that's possible. So anything like melons, apples, bananas, pears, and any other kind of fruit are really gonna be good to go. Next up, we're gonna be discussing denser sources of carbohydrates, which are always popping up as a hot topic in nutrition. But the fact remains that they provide a fuel source for performance, they provide fiber for digestive health, they help to keep the thyroid and hormonal profile working well, and they help people to recover well from exercise. 
When adding denser sources of carbs to meals, I prefer to have people center them around their workouts in the pre and post workout window. So that means typically I'll have people eat them either before their workout or after their workout and I'll get into the reason for that a little bit later. Typically, I'll have people add one to two close fist portions of denser carbs to their plate depending on the size of their frame and then also based on how intensely they train for that specific day. When it comes to the sources of carbohydrates that I recommend to most people, those are going to be mostly natural sources, ones that come really close to nature. However, if someone is a harder charging athlete and they're going to need a higher glycemic source of carbs, I have some specific ones reserved that I will typically recommend for them. So for most people, my recommendations are going to be things like sweet potatoes, yams, taro root, winter squash, acorn squash, white potatoes, plantains, or oats. Now for the harder charging athletes who really need to spike their insulin and they have a high volume of training that they have to recover from, those are going to be things like white rice or something like a hot rice cereal that contains a greater amount of carbohydrates but is a pretty low volume food so that person can eat and be ready to go at their next training session. Also, as a pro tip, if you've never tasted one before, you have got to go out and find yourself a purple Okinawan sweet potato. They're typically found at most Asian food stores, and they're gray on the outside and purple on the inside. They taste kind of like a birthday cake. You're welcome, and thank me in the future. So for those who have a fat loss focused goal, I have them engage in what's called earning their carbs, which really just means that it's a good idea to save your starchy carbohydrates for the post-workout window or meal. The reason for this is because when someone is worked out, they have increased insulin sensitivity, allowing the body to more efficiently use carbohydrates and having there be less of a chance of any of those carbs spilling over into fat stores. On the days when someone doesn't train or is just doing some light conditioning, I have them actually skip the denser sources of carbohydrates and organize their meals around protein, fat, and vegetables as a way to boost their fat loss. Now we've covered quite a bit and there's some things in here that I really want to turn into bullet points to make it so you have easily digestible um, points to follow. So just to recap, base each meal around one to two palm sized portions of protein. Have two closed fist portions of vegetables at each and every meal. Add one to two thumb sized portions of fats or oils to meals to add flavor and to help with cooking. For nuts and seeds, make sure to use them like a condiment to add flavor, but not making them a main component of each meal. Add half an open cupped palm sized portion to meals if you'd like. Make sure to not overdo the nuts and seeds as they're very calorically dense but make up a small volume and can be, and can be very easy to overeat. If fruit is going to be part of your meal, have one half to one close fist sized portion. If you're going to have fruit, I would limit it to a maximum of two meals out of your day and preferably in the post-workout window so that you can help to increase your carb intake and make sure that they're adequately used by the body. When adding denser sources of carbs, I prefer to have people center them around their workouts, ideally pre and post workout, and adding one to two closed fist portions of denser carbs to your plate depending on the size of your frame, the amount of muscle mass you have, and then also how hardly you've trained that day. If your main focus is fat loss, you should use the earn your carbs method. You're going to be earning your carbs with hard training and plug the majority of them into your post-workout meal. On the days where you're not training or doing light conditioning, focus on protein, fat, and vegetables. As always, I appreciate you taking the time to listen to Evolve Nutrition Radio. And if you'd like to support this podcast, please leave a five-star review on either iTunes or Stitcher. If you'd like to connect with me personally, you can always find me on Instagram at Evolve Nutritional Therapy. You can find me on both Snapchat and Twitter at EvolveNTPDX. 
you can email me at evolventtperiodpdx at gmail.com or you can find me on Facebook at www.facebook slash LLC. As always, I really, really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to listen to Evolve Nutrition Radio and I will talk to you next week. Take care.